0: this week on hope for the broken you and i in our human nature we cannot create the kind of unity that is established in the church i mean we can't even disagree with each other and be friends that is our human tendency and if you don't agree with me well then you're the enemy listen beloved the enemy is not the person next to you the enemy is the real satan at work to destroy the unity within the body of christ Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Made New. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part seven titled A New Unity. Well, we are in the middle of a teaching series where we're working our way through the New Testament book of Ephesians in a series that we have entitled Made New, taking cues from one of the major themes uh, that Paul writes about in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 today. So far in the, through the course of this sermon series, we've taken a look at the fact that we have a new identity, that, that in Christ we are made new. And as a result, we have a new focus and we have new life. Literally, we've moved from spiritual death to spiritual life that we belong to a new body, a a body of believers called the church that Jesus has instituted, and that we discover a new plan in Christ, that this is for all the world, and that we are we get to be a part of taking the gospel to the world. And then we also discovered last week that we get to pray with a new expectation, an expectation that the God of glory, the all-powerful, almighty God hears our prayers. Today, we're going to study a new unity. We have, in Christ, as a body of believers, a new kind of unity. You know, one of the things I love about what the Lord is doing uh, here at Trinity is that he is bringing together a diverse people. When we look at our congregation, we see that we come from a variety of backgrounds. We all have differing experiences some of you have even moved from far-off countries like Washington State and Oregon and California, and we're glad that you are here, in and Pennsylvania. And, and so we, we all come from different places. But God is stirring in our midst a type of unity that exceeds that which we typically understands what it means to be unified. We have a new unity in Christ. And I believe in many ways we are experiencing the new unity that Paul is talking about here in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to unpack it today. Here in this chapter, Paul is turning the page, so to speak. Well, I mentioned earlier on in our study that the book of Ephesians can be broken down into two parts. There's the theological, the the foundation forming of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And then the final three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are much more practical in nature. And so he is turning the page. He's now going to answer the question of how being in Christ affects the way in which we live and we live amongst each other. He's going from principle to practice. He's going from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. And here's the truth, beloved. Our theology is always best discovered, what we truly believe is always best discovered, and how we live it out each and every day of our lives. What good is it to have the knowledge of the truth, but yet not live according to it? And Paul is key in saying, no, 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 no. You need to not only have the head knowledge, you need to have the life transformation that comes as a result to aligning your life according to uh, God's word. So the question is, how is this truth, how is this unity that he's going to talk about uh, lived out in our lives? What I want to do today is I want to point out what I believe to be the uh, main idea of verses 1 through 16. You know, in grammar, we're taught when we write that you need to have a sentence, a main idea sentence. I believe Paul provides that for us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. I want you to read along with me in your copy of God's word as we discover this main idea. Paul says verse three, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says that this new life in Christ is to produce in us an eagerness to maintain unity. Now, we're going to talk about the three ways that we maintain unity in our fellowship. But before we get to those, I want to point out a few, a couple of key things about this one verse, verse three. First is the word eager. When we come across that word eager in the original language, this word means to be diligent to or to make every effort to. The idea is that we are to strive for, that we are to work hard, that we are to put all energy into maintaining unity. That means we're not to be people that are undermining or or, or distracting from the unity. Instead, we are to work hard, make every possible effort that we can in order to protect this unity. And we understand that relationships take work, Right? I mean, when you met your spouse, if you're married, when you met your spouse, probably the first time was awkward. And then, and then you got to know each other over the course of time, and then you became really best friends, and then the Lord led you to become married to one another in the establishment of home. Relationships take work, and we understand that. And that's what Paul is saying here. You need to work hard at the relationships within your new body, your new family, your new church. We're to be eager to do that. The second thing that I want to point out is the fact that Paul is not saying that we need to create unity. No, he says we're to be eager to maintain the unity that has already been created. You and I, in our human nature, we cannot create the kind of unity that is established in the church. In other words, you and I, we can't manufacture unity. We cannot find the kind of unity or, or create or replicate the kind of unity that's found in the church. Look at the world today. I mean, we can't even disagree with each other and be friends, right? Have you noticed that? I mean, that is our human tendency, is that if you don't agree with me, well, then you're the enemy. Listen, beloved, the enemy is not the person next to you the enemy is not even the person across from the political aisle of you the enemy is the real Satan at work to destroy the unity within the body of Christ and we are to recognize that our unity is established in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Paul has already talked to us in chapter 2. He said, guess what? These two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, so radically divided from one another, despised one another. In chapter 2, Paul says, he has, Jesus has torn down the wall of hostility between these two groups. Listen, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can create a unity that is above a human creation of unity. And so we are unified in the person and work of Christ, and we are to protect that unity. I want you to, to think about your hand for just a moment, right? You did not have to put your hand together. God did that, right? Uh, you don't, we don't wake up each morning and we say, well, i got to put my thumb on and my, my fingers on in order to be able to write Right, well, We don't say, well, i got to put my hand together so that I can throw a baseball or hit a baseball or, or some way to make my hand useful. No, your, your hand is already created by God. But you are to be careful in how you use your hand so as to not uh, disrupt the unity that is in your hand. For example... Uh, A few weeks ago when the storms came through, those high winds, and we had limbs down everywhere, everybody got chainsaws out. I got chainsaws out at my house. And you had to be careful, right, with a chainsaw. Because if you weren't, then you were going to disrupt the unity that was in your hand or your leg or, or wherever else. You get the idea, right? Like we don't have to create unity within our hands. It's already there, but we have to maintain it. We have to be careful to protect it. This is exactly what Paul is saying here. Be eager. Be diligent. Give attention to maintaining this unity that is already ours in Christ. So how do we do that? Paul gives us three ways here in this passage to maintain unity. We are to show respect towards one another. We are to seek unity, not uniformity. And we are to strive for for maturity. That is our outline here this morning. And in doing these things, we can take responsibility, we can own the responsibility to maintain the unity in our fellowship. So with that background, let's first look at the way Paul urges us. He asks us to show respect toward one another. Let's look together, verses 1 through 3, as we see this idea fleshed out. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, therefore, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. First thing that he says here is that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. In other words, we are to respond to God's call Upon our life, What have we been called to? I think sometimes this word called, especially within the church and within a biblical context, we tend to understand as like people who are called to full-time vocational ministry, right? We, we think, well, that, that's for the professionals. They're called. But remember, Paul's not writing to just the pastors here. He's writing to all believers. So therefore, all believers are called to something. And therefore, we are to walk in a way in which we are called. Every one of us are called to something. What is it that we are called to? Well, we're called to maintain this unity. We're called to respect one another. One commentator I read this week said it this way. If God's love is so great, if his salvation is so powerful, if God has granted such reconciliation, then believers should live accordingly. We should value God's love enough to be shaped by it. Listen, when we are shaped by God's love, we live out our calling. That's exactly what he's talking about here. And Paul uses words to describe how we're to live out this calling, how we are to respect one another. He uses words like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and peace. If you're a student of the Bible, what, is, what are some of those sound like? They sound like gifts of the Spirit, right? That when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, the fruits of the Spirit is what they sound like, rather. And, and, and the Spirit produces these kinds of things in us. I want to talk about these for just a moment. Humility, here, this word, means a lowliness of pride. It means we set aside our pride. It can also carry the meaning of a sense of modesty about yourself. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he boils the Christian life down to three words. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What is the context by which Paul writes 1 Corinthians? Well, he's addressing the divisions that are in the church. Why are there divisions in the church? Because they fail to maintain unity. Why do they fail to maintain unity? Because they're not setting their pride aside. And by not setting their pride aside, they're failing to love one another. And what Paul is saying is, listen, the most important characteristic, if you're going to come down to those three, of a a follower of Jesus Christ, is that you love one another. In fact, Jesus said that very same thing, did he not? He said that they will know that you are my disciples. How? By the love that you have for one another we are to set aside pride and in so doing walk in humility and the way in which we walk in humility is that we seek others interest above our own we seek others interest above our own this is counterculture to us isn't it well what does culture tell us culture tells us get ahead Look out for number one, win at all costs. Elevate yourself above others so that you shine and that you stand out. But here's the problem with that. Christianity breaks down this view at every turn. Christianity is a a life that is called to one of humility. Now certainly we're we're not urged to let others take advantage of us. And all throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we're urged to work hard and that there are dividends to people who work hard, right? I'm not saying that you set aside those things, but remember the Christian life is one that is lived in community, not in isolation. How much easier would it be to be unified if we all practice humility, if we all look to others' interests above our own, Paul's urging here makes sense, right? To practice humility. Then he says uh, practice gentleness. Gentleness carries the same idea here as meekness. Uh, We often misunderstand meekness. We think it means to cower. That's not what it means. To be meek is to have power under restraint. To be strong but to be wise in exercising restraint. It conveys a certain level of sensitivity towards others, which displays that we value others in such a way that we desire not to harm them. We're to be humble and gentle in our respect of others. Then he says that we are to be patient with one another. Patience means a willingness to set aside our own agenda. Uh, To to say, you know what, I'm going to listen to others. I'm going to truly be patient with others. Yes, I want to move in this direction, but I'm going to be patient at the Lord's moving and stirring in their hearts. You know, waiting on something just isn't something our culture understands, is it? No, we want it, and we want it now, don't we? Uh, Patience is a virtue. For the Christian life, we should be patient. And the way we show patience and maintaining unity is that we give others room. And we give others time to learn and to grow and develop. We work to maintain unity instead of demanding that others come along at the same pace. Next, Paul says to bear with one another. This word means to endure through even the rough places or to tolerate one another this means to hold and check our self-centeredness instead of insisting on my rights you know what we're all at much or we're all a little much at times now I saw some of you wives elbow your husbands whenever I said that but but you are too right and we would do wise to realize that we have a tendency myself included to be a pain in the neck and we therefore need to bear with others when they are a pain in our neck And you see this whole concept here of of these key ingredients to maintaining the unity. So we maintain unity by showing respect for one another. Secondly, we maintain unity by seeking unity, not uniformity. One of the most beautiful things about the church, and when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the capital C Church, You know, the the universal church, not just Trinity, but all believers and all places at all times. The church is so beautiful. And the reason why it's beautiful is that there is such unity even in the midst of diversity. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in our sermon that we, in a lot of ways, we have more in common with the Christian on the other side of the world than we do with the non-Christian across the street from us. There, there is We are family. And, and but we're different. And I want us to read verses 4 through 12 as it highlights this idea of unity but not uniformity. And as I read it, I want you to do something. I want you to take notice of the things that Paul says, these are things that we all have in common. And then I want you to take notice of Paul saying, well, these are the things that we all are different in. And what we're going to see is we're going to see this idea of unity but not uniformity. Let's read it together, beginning in verse 4. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Those right there are the beliefs and the identity that all believers in Jesus Christ share in common. Verse 7. But, transition word. That is to say, these are the things that we have in common, but here's where we differ. Let's read it, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us, that's individuality, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? That is, Jesus stepped out of heaven in his incarnation, came to earth, but also was lowered into the tomb right upon his death. So he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Those are gifts. To equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Do you see the similarities and the differences? Very practically speaking, the way that you and I maintain unity despite our differences is that we will seek to major on the majors. We will not major on the minors. I've known churches that have split. I mean, they just break fellowship with one another, form a whole new church over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. That's a true story. I mean, is that being eager to maintain the unity that is found in the personal work of Jesus Christ? No, that is majoring on the minors. What Paul is saying is, listen, there are things that we have in common. There are doctrinal truths that are vitally important to hold on to without compromise. That's what we are to be the same on. That's verses 4 through 6. Oh, but we celebrate our differences in our giftings, so long as they align to Scripture. That's verses 7 through 12. We are the same in that we share one body of Christ. We share one Holy Spirit, one hope in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. Beloved, that's doctrine. And when we do our starting point, which is our new member workshop, if, if you are a guest with us and you would like to know how do I get connected to Trinity Baptist Church, you would come to our starting point. The next one will be August the 20th on a Sunday morning at 11 a.m. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up for that. But at starting point, one of the things we say is this. We say there are essential doctrines and there are non-essential doctrines. The essential doctrines are doctrines we hold with a closed hand, meaning this, there's no negotiating on them. Those are things that we believe about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about the church, right? About mankind. These are essential doctrines that we will hold on to unwaveringly. But then there are non-essential doctrines that we hold with an open hand. And we lovingly debate those doctrines, but we never divide on those things. And so at Trinity Baptist Church, the way we're going to maintain the unity of our fellowship, especially as we grow more and more diverse, is that we are going to major on the majors. We're going to hold tightly together to the doctrines that we hold to unwaveringly and will lovingly debate, but never divide on the doctrines that are non-essential. And then he says we differ in the gifts that we have. In other words, not everyone is an apostle. And by the way, I believe that... Apostleship ended with the, with the 12 apostles in the pages of the New Testament. There's certain requirements to be labeled a, an apostle, but definitely in that time, it, God gave the, the gift of the apostle to the church. And not everyone is a prophet, and that's not to tell the future, by the way. Prophetical preaching is to have a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak powerfully within certain uh, areas. Uh, Not everyone is is an evangelist or a shepherd or a teacher, but some are. And we are not all the same in in our gifts. And by the way, if you need help discovering what your spiritual gifts are, we want to help you do that. We have spiritual gift inventories that will help you kind of process, you know, maybe some of the ways that God has uniquely gifted you. And that way you can know that gift. If you don't know that gift, you come see Pastor Jeff or myself and we'll get you that information so that you can begin the process of discovering that. But we are to maintain unity by showing respect for one another and we seek unity, not uniformity. Thirdly, we strive for maturity. Ultimately, there is a reason why God is bringing together this diverse group of people into one local expression of his church. There's a purpose behind the unity and the diversity. And that purpose is that you and I might grow spiritually. That we might mature in Christ. Look with me beginning verse 13 through verse 16. He's just talked about God has given these gifts for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, and that's a person that is an adult, by the way, to to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint within which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What Paul is saying is, listen, Ephesians Y'all need to understand that God has brought you together. You're the same in doctrine, in what you believe. You're differing in gifting. And the reason why God has done this is for your benefit. And the reason why we all have differing gifts is because we all have a part to play, beloved. You and I have a part to play, And our part maybe is not the same, but that's okay. But the body, just like the body needs every member working properly, so does the body of Christ need every member working according to their giftings. When you utilize your giftings, when I utilize my giftings, guess what happens? We grow up. We grow up and we're growing to become that of Jesus Christ. He says that when every part of the body of Christ is working properly, it's built up. That is, that it grows, it matures. We are, in a sense, all bodybuilders. You think about it that way. We're to build up the body of Christ. You know, I think we also have a tendency to place greater value on some gifts than we do on others. For example, you might be here and you might say, "Well, Pastor Chris, I don't have the gift of of, of teaching so I, I can't be as of much use in the kingdom as someone who has the gift of teaching. That's a lie. You have to say, well, Pastor Chris, I can't share the gospel as eloquently as, as so-and-so. I, I don't have the gift of, of, of being an evangelist, and so I can't be as effective for the kingdom. That's a lie from the pit of hell. right? You Your gifting is no less important to the body of Christ than my gifting. And we are to exercise our gifts. If we want to see the expansion of God's kingdom, then we ought to get to work in what it is that God has gifted us to do. And then we'll see the glory of God at work and we'll be built up. Scripture teaches in multiple places that when we come to faith in Jesus, we're given spiritual gifts. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a believer's heart, that happens at the moment of salvation he brings with him spiritual gifts. We're all gifted in some way. We all have a role, and beyond that, we all have a responsibility to use our giftings for the glory of God. No one in God's kingdom gets to sit on the sideline. When we do, we make the body of Christ ineffective. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 18, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members and the body, each one of them, As he chose. Listen, if you are in Christ, you have a spiritual gift, and the expectation is that you exercise your spiritual gift. We want to help you get in the game. And Paul tells us why it's so vital that we do this. Look at verse 14 again. He says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Can I tell you something? I'm afraid the church, and again, I'm not talking about Trinity, I'm talking about church as a whole. I'm afraid the church, we have failed in the area of discipling other people. We failed. And I'm a part of that. And I think we're beginning to see the effects of the failure to utilize giftings to disciple the next generation. You say, Well, where do you see those that evidence? Well, I believe that many believers have compromised biblical truth and have turned to cultural ideologies as truth. Beloved, that is a failure to grow up. It is a, a result of being tossed by the ways of every wind of doctrine. It is to give way to human cunning, and it is succumbing to the craftiness and deceitful schemes, Paul says. Listen, what we need in our day and time are believers unified together, exercising our spiritual gifts so that we can be built up in order to stand firm on the truths of God's word. We need to grow up. And we need to mature in Christ. We cannot allow ourselves to be tossed to and fro by the waves of sinful culture. And in a world where it is easy to give way to political correctness, beloved, we need biblical resolve. We need to be founded. The truth. How are we gonna do that? We gotta be eager to maintain the unity, the bond of peace, so that we can utilize our giftings and we can challenge one another so that we may mature and grow up and gain this biblical resolve. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's word on hope for the broken.